It's episode 50 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky. Joining me today is J.P. Breen and Ryan Top. And surprise, J.P. is in the house today. Made the trip up from South Bend. Indiana, yeah. Yeah, Indiana. Oh, I mean, we're in the basement. Yes, we are in the basement of an actual house. Yeah, we're recording this, but not in mom's basement. But No, not in mom's basement. Yeah, it's but a basement. It is oh, in my a basement. A mom's basement. A mom's basement, yeah. It's the basement sure. of a yeah. mom. Good. So, yeah, this is kind of exciting, like the whole cruise together. Yeah, first time. Yep, we'll be heading out to uh, Steve's on Blue Mound. Hopefully going to see some people. I know this will be retroactive. Hopefully, hopefully you showed up yeah. because we say. saw you. And then uh, <laughs> we're, we're looking forward to going to the game together. And, and if you showed up, thank you. We, I can say that we already enjoyed seeing you because I, I guarantee you we would. Mm-hmm. Um, if not, shame on you. Yeah. So, and hey, maybe the Brewers did beat Clayton Kershaw today. Hey, maybe they did. And, maybe and they did. Got off the schneid because this has been rough. Berman, thank you. Yeah. Yeesh. Well, you know, that's the way it goes. But we'll get into it in a little bit. You can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash MKE Tailgate. Our ball and glove patrons receive the monthly Minor League Extra podcast. Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing. From Dragon Flute to Block Party to Fantasy Factory IPA, K4 specializes in English-style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. On Thursday, July 27th, Carbon 4 is re-releasing October Ale, the Oktoberfest-style ale, which is the best kind of beer. Marzins? I prefer Marzins more than anything else, so I'm always excited for... They're a little heavy. I... But then again, I like IPAs, so whatever. Okay. I enjoy end of the summer, into the fall, when they start releasing all these. So I was going to say, I, I enjoyed the idea that he was going to critique your own personal preference of beer. <laughs> he was, you say, this is actually this my is, favorite. And he goes, no, it's not. I mean, this I get, is what I like. I no. Get, I, get gar- well, I get garbage from him all the time about the IPA thing. So well, That's because it's the only thing you enjoy. It's not, but okay. It's, yeah. Anyways. Uh, this ale uh, is fermented at near lager, near lager temperatures. Uh, is an attempt to capture magic in a glass. Soft toffee notes are wrapped in a blanket of flavors of fresh baked bread. The whole experience is accented with a pleasant and subtle woodsy experience provided by a whiskey-soaked blend of French and American oak. Doesn't that sound wonderful? It sounds delicious. It, sounds, it sounds like, like I think th- they said it's like jumping in a pile of leaves. It's very visual. It is, yeah. So, uh, anyways, you can check that out at uh, carbon4.com for more information. Uh, this one's packaged, so you'll be able to look for it in stores too. It'll be coming Fantastic, out, yeah. I think, within a week or two after the the release in the brewery. Well, and I will say, just for people who didn't listen last week, go back because we actually had an interview with uh, Brewmaster from Carbon Four. Yep, we talked to uh, Ryan Koga, who's the Brewmaster at Carbon Four. So, if you hadn't had a chance to check that one out. Or if the brewer news is too depressing, I think we've got about 35 minutes with them that can waste your time. So <laughs> go, go back and listen to that one if you haven't yet. I, I definitely recommend it. So anyways, Carbon 4, beer, brilliance. Milwaukee's Tailgate is also sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast, check out the MixPre 3 and MixPre 6. For more information, visit sounddevices.com. 
Okay, so uh, All-Star Week was supposed to be kind of quiet. You know, we watched a few Brewers playing the I mean, the Brewers game. got uh, Aguilar added to the, to the roster. Jeremy Jeffress was added to the roster, so they had five guys. You know, hey, they, they pop up, play in the game. We're excited. Um, and then uh, Josh Hader had a rough outing in the All-Star game. And it got really rough like Which, 30 seconds after that. Because this is a nationally televised game and people uh, like to then go back and dig in people's past, unearth some tweets that were uh, less than flattering. Terrible. Yeah, they were bad. They're really bad like tweets. Really, really awful tweets. From Josh Hader. Like, it was about as bad. Like, this is a whole genre now of bad athlete tweets from when they were younger. Yeah. This is pretty much the top of the heap now. Like, and it, it, it doesn't get much worse than this. And it ran, you know, the gamut from racist to homophobic to misogynistic. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it kind of dominated the rest of the, the week, at least as far as Brewer fans were concerned. It was still making national news all through Wednesday. It was, um, I, you know, the Manny Machado thing was happening as well. So I think for Brewers fans, we were still more fo- more focused on this and probably nationally. Yeah. Um, well, but think, it, was, it was disappointing to see. Yeah, and I think a big part of it too, not aside from just how abrasive it was to actually go back and just read those tweets just because they're, they're not things that we know. Everybody knows that these things exist, but in general, you don't encounter them in a day-to-day uh, situation. And seeing people that you watch um, kind of night in and night out is is always difficult to see. But I think for Brewers fans, it was a little bit more... It was a little bit more difficult because um, the vast majority of the past three, three and a half months has been telling all of these national folks and, and talking on Twitter and, and reveling in how good Josh Hader's been. Um, talking about how, you know, his strikeout rate's been kind of the highest in, in, in history for, for a reliever, well, for a pitcher in general, and just talking about all these things and just saying, this is a reason why all of these national people look at Milwaukee when otherwise they wouldn't pay any attention. And then suddenly getting that um, taken away by these sorts of things, I think made it doubly hard on top of what was already a vile situation brought in an emotional thing in which people felt that uh, they had, they had been betrayed in some ways, like uh, because they had trumpeted this guy for a long time and then had this come back on him. In an emotional way, not in terms of the content of what actually happened, but in an emotional way, it was similar to the Braun thing in that way. How it hit hard to the fan base, I think, because it was like, you know, seeing another star like be publicly humiliated by their own actions and like a difficult thing to, yeah, to I sit mean, and watch from there the outside was, you know, for there, something that's supposed to be like an entertainment thing. Like this is what you do as a diversion as a fan. It and is. And then to have that, but, you know, a player but these guys again, exist, publicly humiliate themselves. These like guys that. exist outside the three hours or so that they play on the field. Right. And, you know, and before I think we also, ever knew them. Yeah. And, you know, there, there's a lot of like, oh, he wrote these tweets when he was 17. And I mean, he's only 24. These yeah. aren't that deep in the past. Right, but... Th- I'm just saying, because the way that 17 keeps getting referenced... Right. And it's like, he's a young guy. He's still He was young when he did it. He's still a young guy now. This isn't like some distant time. Absolutely. But I think most of the discussion has been... Um, most of the discussion, sorry. Everybody was trying <laughs> to get me closer to the microphone, and I thought they were pointing at me for something. Um, but I think most of the discussion has been lost because... 
everybody, you know, it, it's all of these interviews with teammates, going to talk to David Stearns, going to talk to, to Craig Council and trying to figure out, you know, is Josh Hader still this guy that was posting all of these things at 17 years old? Um, and even some of them beyond that. And everybody says, you know, no, this is not the guy that we see in the bullpen every day. This is not the guy in the clubhouse. This is not the guy that we have come to know and that, that we're friends with. Um, we've seen that from Keon Broxton. We've seen that from uh, Jesus Aguilar. And Basically, so, all the all-stars all came out and said oh, something. Oh, certainly. Yeah, yeah. A- Aguilar and Jeffress both made statements. But, well, I mean, they also had more of uh, an opportunity to the media since they had been all-stars. Yeah, certainly. And Lorenzo Cain did right away as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, and I, this is something that I tweeted multiple times, so I'm not going to go into it again, but I think that misses the entire point of the conversation. And all of this is not... Racism, homophobia, all of these things are not about whether or not the person who said them, whether or not they're a good person or not, whether or not they've changed. If they have changed, it doesn't take away the impact of what has happened in the past. It doesn't take away what, you know, like a 13-year-old African-American boy in, in Milwaukee has been watching the Brewers, sees somebody that he's looked up to say these sorts of things. It doesn't take away that pain just because all of a sudden you say that he's not that person anymore. And so having that discussion to say, you know, how do we talk about racism? How do we talk about um, making a mistake as a kid when all of now, now it's an entire generation that has had everything they've ever written online public. And how do we talk about what a 14 year old says, a 17 year old says versus what a 30 year old says versus what a 25 year old says. And we don't know how to do these things. We don't even know how, how to, to cope with, uh, living a life online in that way when everything you've ever done is is under scrutiny and well, it doesn't it's, take it's funny a, how time's been flattened out yeah all, you know the yes it, you know it's become a joke the time is a flat circle right kind of thing but time has been kind of flattened out for everyone because Josh Hader's tweets from seven years ago are happening now right and and it becomes a question of racism is seen as a personal defect and it defines who you are right? Like you are a racist, you are a homophobe, you are all of these things. And you, you can not harbor racist thoughts and say things that are racist accidentally. You can say things that are, you can be racist in the past and say vile things and hold those things in your heart and you can wish evil on other things and you can grow, but we don't know how to talk about these things. Um, and we don't know how to talk about the idea that just because hater has changed doesn't mean that those things still don't have impacts. And that doesn't mean that we uh, sweep those things under the rug. Or it doesn't even mean that if you are somebody that is, you know, a, a minority in terms of race, in terms of gender, in terms of, uh, you know, sexual orientation, what have you, like all of those things matter to the to to you if your identity is being told that it, it is wrong it doesn't matter it is lesser by somebody else whether or not they have changed personally doesn't mean that those things are any less hurtful and we don't know how to have these conversations in terms of trying to talk about that while not trying to say that oh well hater is now just a terrible person forever because i would imagine being in a clubhouse with a lot of different a lot of different races, a lot of different cultures, a lot of different languages. I would imagine it probably has changed his thoughts about race. Keith, I would be I would be shocked if it hasn't. Keith Law brought that up in a tweet this week and was talking about how research has shown that basically the the only way to get people over bigoted beliefs about other people is to expose them and have them spend time with them on a consistent basis. And so in that way, he was kind of saying, 
you know, the best place for Josh Hader to like learn and grow from this would probably be in the Milwaukee Brewers clubhouse because that's a place where he's going to have. And that was in response to Hader being assigned to a, a sensitivity training course that he right. has to take. So. Right. Well, right. And, uh, and downplaying the impact that that could have, though, I would think that. Well, I mean, the idea that like, hey, you're going to take a course and that's going to change it's, your it's a PR beliefs. Thing, right? Yeah, it's a PR thing. Is this? Well, so because is it a suspending course? him? I don't know that. I know some people have wanted him suspended. Right. I don't know if that's a legitimate answer because I don't know what it takes for the what the players' association is going to do, you know, because they're right. going to defend him regardless because right. that's what the players' association but I, but is I for. Will, you know, they're not just going to accept a suspension just because Major League wants but, to bring. But it again, down it shows like that all of this discussion still centers on Josh Hader rather than how other people have been affected by him. Right. It, mm-hmm. it it tries to to suggest that by fixing Hader, it fixes the problem, and that's not that's not true at all. Um, and trying hater, I mean, I, I hate to put it in those terms. I mean, it does matter. Hater growing as a person does matter. Absolutely, but everybody it does, growing but as a do, person matters. But that doesn't matter to all of those people that he said doesn't matter. That are right. are are racially lesser. That they are, you know, that he says that. What did you say that he said that he hated gay people? Yeah, that was there. There were a few that were that was one like, of the most explicit. Specific, yeah, that was one that I looked at as like explicitly standing out as. Regardless of, you know, whether he was spouting back, you know, he was just quoting rap lyrics or something like that, which right. was the, I don't want to say excuse. People were just saying like, this is what he was doing in a few of those. Those were ones that were just outright hateful. You yeah. were 17 years old and you were writing, you know, I hate gay people or something like that. Even if it's a joke, those that's just an outright hateful statement that you must have some sort of belief in if you're willing to put it right. out there. Well, and, and, and my point too is like, even if he didn't, those words still have impact, whether or not he believes it or not. Racism, uh, homophobia, all these things do not rely on intent to matter. Uh, and we see that for all of, you know, we see this for politicians. We see this for all these things. Well, they don't really mean these things. They're still sending out signals for specific reasons, and they still matter. Whether or not they actually believe these things doesn't isn't important. That's not how racism functions. But we don't know how to talk about it as a society, which is why the most frustrating thing for me has been watching... Uh, the Brewers watching baseball, all of these people say, let, we need to talk to hater. We need to talk to his teammates. We need to talk to all of these people. And you know what you should be doing? You should be going out to community groups in Milwaukee and saying, how do we talk about these things? How do we get involved? The Brewers to actually try to make an impact. Yeah. Because that's part of the long-term plan. Yeah. Cause they've made a big deal. You know, like, uh, all of his teammates showed up to his press conference when they got back to Miller park on Friday. It's like, well, that's great, but that affects people who are in the clubhouse. Right. And And what he did affects people outside the club. And there's also just the aspect of that. When people point to that, you have to remember the code of the locker room, everything I've ever read and heard about this. I've never been part of a pro sports team, but everything I've ever heard about this is it's very much a, us against the world, bunkered in mentality. Nothing that you do outside of the team context really matters. It's all of what you can do for the team. Right. So, of course, the team is going to support him because he's massively important to them and getting where they want to go. So, And he's likely friends with a lot of them. Right. And so, you, But you can't take at face value all this heartwarming support. There could be people that have serious concerns and serious issues. You don't know because that's part of well, the code of the locker room is to bury that stuff. Lorenzo Cain's comments right after the All-Star game were not just outright supportive. Like he talked to him about it. 
he understood, you know, this is when the tweets happened and what he had said. And obviously he doesn't mean that now, but Kane didn't just say like, I forgive you and everything's okay because I know Josh Hader now. Yeah. I think he had, if you, if you read, and there wasn't like a ton of a write up on it, but there was a little more nuance, I think, to what yeah. Kane had originally said. And I think that's probably closer to what the attitude is yeah. for a lot of guys in the locker and, room. And I will say, and like, that's what the attitude should be. Well, I think that's hard I to can't, say. Yeah. I can't say what it should be. I mean, I think my, my final point. You know, if you guys have other points, obviously you can bring them up. But my final point on the on on the matter is just thinking about um, a lot of people have said, you know, what do you want? Do you want a pound of flesh from him? You know, like he apologized. That's enough for me. It's not about you. Like the vast majority of people who are saying it are forty five year old white men. You know, and we're and we're a bunch of white guys sitting here sitting here and talking about it. And and it's not about it. He didn't say anything about you. At most, you're embarrassed because you're somewhat attached to it, right? Because as a fan or because it reminds you of things you've said in the past, like all of these things, you're embarrassed by it. And so like you need to have some kind of way that you can, you know, wrestle with this in your own mind. It's not about that. If you, if there is, if there is an LGBTQ community in, in Milwaukee that like is still utterly offended by this and says that that, uh, that apology is not enough, it probably isn't. And they probably want more done with it. And that's valid just because you sitting, you know, like, or we're sitting down here in, in Steve's basement and we're saying that, well, that's fine enough for us. Like, yeah, I, we like, don't have a valid opinion. on No, this. like, and that's why I think for me, it's not about whether or not you, you find closure. It's, it's about a longer process and a longer discussion about these sorts of things within baseball, but within dis like baseball has an opportunity to say, like, we need to figure out how to talk about this as a society. And I understand that, like the Brewers don't want to be that club. Josh Hader doesn't want to be the person that tries to model how to do these things as a society. But you have an opportunity to try to show people how to do it and try to make things like have a positive impact through these through these hateful things. And instead, what ends up happening is we try to say, oh, you know, he's actually not a bad person now. Well, that's not the point. No. Like that just and that's why every time somebody says yeah, it's kind of like this is enough. Right. And, and now we're OK. And it becomes a broader thing about. Uh, you know, such and such is a racist policy. And you're like, and they're like, well, no, there are racist people. And I was like, it's a broader thing than that. You can't just go down to whether everybody is a good or bad person and just put it down. Yeah. And I mean, you know, also the Brewers, they just had their first pride night at Miller Park this season. Yeah. No, it's worthwhile. Which is relatively late to the game. There are only, I think, two other holdouts at this point who have not had pride nights. You know, Going back. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the Cardinals were in there first. That's kind of embarrassing, but. The point is, though, I mean, there are still things that the Brewers as an organization can do to reach out to communities. And they do a good job of getting in the community and they have, yeah. you know, different different nights for different organizations. They support stuff in the community. What they do is not just like done and it's right. it's good. They can always do more to reach out. And, you know, regardless of how progressive we think some things are that they do they're not just right. leaders across the and board and i think this is an opportunity for them as an organization to try to do more absolutely as well. and milwaukee is one of the most segregated towns yes in, in the country like it, it by some indexes it's the most right it it matters more like it's not like it mattered more in some places in which somebody says something racist but like if you're talking about impact on a community of a fan base you can do it in Milwaukee. You can have a very big impact in Milwaukee if if you want to go out, if the Brewers want to go out and really try to have an impact in the community, they can definitely do it. Yeah. So, okay, we're not going to talk about this the entire episode because they did actually get back to playing baseball this week. 
And uh, out of the break, we kind of continued a little bit with uh, what had been going on with the losing ways. Um, they they dropped the first game, and we haven't seen the rest of them yet because <laughs> we're recording on Saturday afternoon. I mean, uh, going back because we recorded after, or sorry, we recorded before that the doubleheader sweep in Pittsburgh. Yeah, everybody. Especially, I'm sure everybody has felt what's going on. That we don't Sunday need to totally game, rehash that. We were talking about this, but I don't know this week about how that Sunday game was one of the more excruciating games we've watched. Probably into the thousands of Brewer games in our lives, like all all of us, I think, have. And that game is going to stand out for a while. We were talking; we compared it to that Diamondbacks game from 2007, the one that where they blew the five nothing. They had like a six run lead in the ninth inning. Five nothing, and then they didn't get an out. Man, we were talking about how the fact that like that one sticks. I have a terrible memory. In, in general, like people were talking about this is the worst, worst series. And I was like, I don't remember any of those series. Uh, I remember that game against Arizona. That, I, that Arizona I, one. I absolutely remember that. That game. Pittsburgh one is going to stand that out. Was like that was Guillermo Mota. It was yeah. just absolutely having a tire fire on the, on, yeah. on the mound. Right? If you wanted to invent a situation to torture a fan base, that situation is just about perfect. You're on a losing streak. No, 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 you no. Get no. Multiple... no, no. The Bartman situation is absolutely the perfect situation. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. Okay, but that takes a lot of history to actually make point, work. Point point being though that like that game was it was like a torture device of a game where you get multiple leads, you blow multiple leads in dumb and just awful ways to people. David Freeze hitting the 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 winning shot there, like the the history he has, it was like that history perfect. going back. There were some calls that were bad. Yeah, that were bad. That didn't go like there were bad the calls rain. that didn't go the Brewers' way. Yeah, the rain, everything like that. Yeah. So, anyways. Let's not dwell on that too long. I mean, Let's, no, because if you actually go back and listen to the podcast from last week, we predicted on Saturday that we were going to lose both those games. Yeah, we basically <laughs> talked about it going into yeah. as they were going to lose out. Yeah. So um, it was just disappointing that they came. And, you know, L.A. is a good team. It's a rough draw when you're on a losing streak to come out against L.A. L.A. is all, you know, the Dodgers are jacked up because they went out and got Manny Machado. They completed that. Clayton you know, Kershaw's coming back? Well before, yeah, Kershaw's coming back. They completed the Machado trade well before the deadline. Yeah. Machado had a, a sizable impact in that game. He was a big part of the reason why they won. He wasn't the biggest, but he's a big part of why they won that game. Well, and that's why you go out Machado and get a Manny well. Machado. So it was disappointing that the, I, you know, I know a lot of people wanted the Brewers to go out and get Machado. Mm-hmm. We had kind of talked about the pluses and minuses. Great to get an impact player like that. The Brewers need a little more length, and Machado isn't necessarily going to do that. So um, I guess where do the Brewers go from there? What what are they looking at as their impact move, and how quickly do they need to make it? We're running short on time right? as far as when they can make it before the um, – Trade deadline, the non-waiver trade yeah. deadline, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what it sounds like right now, the Brewers are most closely connected to Brian Dozier in uh, Minnesota, which is, I guess, a different player than we thought was going to be connected to them from from Minnesota, right? Well, We've talked a lot about Eduardo Escobar. No, I think every people have talked about Eduardo Escobar. The one that has always been on the table and they've been connected to has been Dozier. Well, I think I, there was a little bit of dreaming that you get both. Sure, okay, fair. And I think one of the things to recognize about Dozier in terms of, you know, his trade value and all of these things, he's been hitting the light living hack out of the ball recently. And he, had, he is not having a great season, but then again, last year, he didn't have a great season until the last two months anyway. And then he went insane. He's been kind of a second half player in recent years. So you're, he's big, a you're, guy, you're he's big on a the second half players on, recently. He, he can get on or the second half players. Well, He can get on power benches too, where he just will slug 10, 12 home runs in a month and just, 
absolutely carry a team offensively that right. way, which is something the Brewers could definitely use. They could use that power, especially coming at second base, shortstop, or catcher. Like, that's where they need that help. So, well, but you know, the Brewers have been reliant on a really good defense this season. What kind of impact does Dozier have on that? I don't think positively or negatively, to be honest. I think that Jonathan VR is is pretty neutral in terms of his defensive impact. And what I know about Brian Dozier and from watching him, God, this is a few years ago now, but I haven't, I don't have his numbers in front of me, that Brian, Brian Dozier is fine defensively. He's not great. I don't think he's going to, to, to change anything. The thing that surprises me about going after somebody like Dozier, though, is that the Brewers have so prized defensive versatility. And to go and say, that we're going to go target somebody who is a second baseman, which means you're likely suggesting that VR is going to sit. Yeah. What do you do with VR? Because they have not moved VR back to short. No. And I mean, is like you have VR, you have Miller. Don't forget about Miller in this whole. Well, I think Saladino is probably the guy they'd look at at shortstop. Saladino. Well, and Arcia, we hope it was going to, figure things out and come back up at some well point yeah but we've they we talked about that, that before jp you mentioned you thought it was his demotion was not just a couple weeks and get back that, on that's track. what i it's think and a couple i know months and really but stern's talked about it in somewhat different terms well now. i think if you're if yeah. you're looking at the trade deadline uh you are probably going to want to put out a public message that you can bring back Orlando Arcia at any time and you're not actually desperate for a sh- shortstop at any stretch of the imagination. It's true too. Yeah. Right? That like works. I mean you're you're going to always say that you have options internally because you don't want to be able to peg yourself into something. Yeah, I always feel a little conflicted about them going after a shortstop, especially once it's not Machado. Um just because I think they still see Arcia as, you know, the shortstop of the future. Oh, rightfully so, and, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think they want to go out there and so publicly say, You're not the guy. Well, if you're adding- even even if it's you're not the guy for this season, I don't think they want to say at all that you're not the guy. If you're adding a shortstop for this year, it I would be pretty surprised if it was anything other than a pure rental. Well, no, you know, obviously, but, but, but even I, but even though that even still speaks rental, to what Steve yeah. is saying, right? Even yeah. a pure rental, if you go out there and just completely, you know, replace Arcia and say you are not playing in the major leagues the rest of the season, I, that's a really big statement, yeah. and that can affect a player. I mean, we saw like when JJ Hardy, um, there were doubts about him, and he got sent down to the minors for a while. I mean, it was a little bit later in the game than where RC is now. It well, was. Yeah. Hardy but was that, a much. But, Hardy but had the, been an all star. But, but the point, the point still is there. But sure. that that completely destroyed his relationship with the Brewers. Yeah, and he was. Uh, it was a that he was going to have to be traded. And I will think uh, two things for Orlando RC is number one, um, he's also very well liked in the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. And and that matters, right? Like if yeah. you if you signal to the clubhouse that you are going to replace Orlando Arcia, that could have negative impacts. I, unless you're getting somebody like Machado, which everyone goes, right? He's Manny fucking Machado. Just yeah, we'll yeah. we'll take him, bring him in. That's fine. yeah. Um, but anybody else, I I think it's much easier to sell both to the team, and I think is probably more beneficial if you have somebody that can play. Uh, third base shortstop, shortstop second base, something like that, where you say, actually, you know, he's not blocking you. We're bringing him in to help at shortstop right now, but if you actually start hitting the living crap out of the ball, we're going to move him to second base, and it's fine. You can come on in. Um, And being able to have that defensive 
versatility has been something that I think has been one of the hallmarks of David Stearns' tenure. And that's why, you know, Nick Franklin still exists. Well, and I mean, I not think, like Nick Franklin exists because he's alive. I mean, as a baseball but, player. But, you know, when they, when they went out and got Neil Walker last year, they did not use him just as a second baseman. Yeah, right. He was used yeah. quite a bit at first base. They You're moved, right. they they moved get him around. They used, they used him where they needed him at the time. Um, I will say, though, one of the advantages of having that defensive versatility is it gives you coverage to be able to add a, a player like Dozier, who's purely a second baseman, because you already have such good coverage elsewhere that you have the, the ability to then say, well, yeah, we can just accommodate this guy and put him in every day at second base and move other guys around. And it creates a, an opportunity to be able to do that as well. Right. I think one of the most difficult things, if we're thinking about going forward, um, I was looking at some of the just kind of second baseman, shortstops, third baseman, because I think even third base, it would be nice to allow Travis Shaw to get a day off once in a while. If you could have somebody who could play third base, that's not I mean, Perez does come in there and play but reasonably even, well. And they against they, but they weren't using him at third base when Travis Shaw had like wrist injury. Right, I mean, he was not playing third more maybe once a week. You're talking about somebody who can like legit play with regularity. Yeah, like, at third like base. an Eduardo Escobar, right? Yeah. Like somebody Which who can Perez does do not. That. Right, do. Um, and though Eduardo Escobar is not a phenomenal defensive third baseman, but yeah, um, I think I was looking. Back, there are just so few options that are available. I mean, well, especially it, once you saw the uh, A's were on like an 11 game win streak or yeah, whatever I mean, it was. Were, I saw Jed that, Lowry was I saw not going to be an option. No, I was like, I don't know if I got, I must have gotten distracted by the World Cup. And then all of a sudden the World Cup ended and we came back and we we're talking about trades. And all of a sudden the A's were like 12 games over 500. Um, they're still nowhere near a playoff spot. They're trading. They're they, trying. No, they were, they had as of, as of Saturday morning. They were uh, had agreed to a deal for um, Familia, Familia, and he was in. What then? What do you mean they're trying? If it was if it was agreed and going into the the physical stage, I mean that's more than trying. To oh add. yeah, no, no, no. I'm just saying the A's as like contenders thing. Like they can they can try, they can make that the attempt at it, but like the mountain is just way too high for them to climb. Unless I guess the Mariners could fall apart in the second half. Yeah, does anybody look at the Mariners and just say this is a giant that No, because they be win all those close games and that's that's yeah, that can, we've seen winning close games can definitely turn on you. And I mean, you know, I think getting back to the Brewers, that's part of the issue that they've had recently Certainly. is, you know, you have a good winning percentage in close games early, you know, that can basically swing the other way on you, and that's what creates losing streaks that well, are tougher to take. Absolutely, and I think if you think about it in a more macro sense, you can see that with Cleveland right now. Cleveland's bullpen was phenomenal in 2017. They were one of the biggest reasons they were able to push so far into the into the postseason. 16-2. Yeah, and, and you cannot always rely on your bullpen to be the piece that allows you to always outperform your run differential. You just can't do it. And when Cody Allen starts to back up, when uh, Andrew Miller gets hurt, then you have to go and spend your best trade asset in Francisco Mejia to go get Brad Hand. And Brad Hand is fantastic, right? I was I was advocating to go and I'm surprised that they got Adam Simber in that deal as well, which I understand Mejia is is very good. Um, he's so one he's of, kind he's of a falling top. back a little bit in the prospect. I think there as far as the heat that used to be on him. I think there are big question marks on whether or not he can actually stick a catcher. Um, and his bat as a catcher, if he can handle that, he's perennial all-star. 
I mean, at catcher, he has the arm. He apparently, I was just listening to a podcast on the way over here. He's apparently a very good pitch framer. The question is whether or not he'll hold up at catcher. That like seems... statistically or scouting wise? No, statistically. Well, they for... have it at Triple uh, A has it. That seems questionable. If there are questions about his ability to catch, I'm not. No, it's I, questions about I, his ability to hold up to it. I'm physically. not. I'm not sure. That's the question. I'm not sure that I would trust the infrastructure of a Triple A uh, league to be able to have the met- metrics available to understand how good somebody's pitch framing is. Okay, I'm just saying that's okay. That's what I've heard discussed. Whatever, fine. So yeah, I mean, clearly the trade season's in full swing right now. Oh yeah. I mean, we, yeah. You know, there's there are years where we sit there and we wait until basically the deadline for that yep. first domino to fall, or even last year when I think Quintana went. Quintana went to the Cubs early, and then really nothing happened until like the deadline was right there. I think the Brewers got Swarzak right after during the All Star break, also. Yeah, now it's a little bit after. It was after. We it, talked about Swarzak in our very first episode. Did we? And I checked the first episode we did posted on like July 31st. Okay. Yeah, because everybody was still freaking out with a week left, mm-hmm. whether or not they were going to trade anybody. And that's why we ended up pushing our first uh, podcast back more and more because we wanted to be able to actually talk about some trades. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, no, he was he was not at the All-Star break. It was late. So it was really Quintana, and then everybody waited on everything else. But I think the the most interesting thing that I've seen in terms of just kind of buzz around uh, around trades, uh, it seems that there are a lot of starting pitchers available. Like, a, just, I mean, I know that I mean, DeGrom, you think DeGrom that's something is kind that... of like fake available, but it sounds like the Rays are actually listening on Chris Archer. J.A. Happ is going to go. Well, what would you give up for Archer? No, nothing even close to because again we we talked about this you know i think you know we saw that like oh the brewers don't have a great system to go out and make trades and it's like well they have hero and they have burns well but 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 i think what was your point on that i would say they have a good system to be able to make a lot of trades because they've got extreme depth what they don't have is a lot of really really high impact prospects that you need to be able to go get the high-end pieces right like they can go get and still have something left after absolutely absolutely they can go get the anthony suarez all day Right, they can. Do, they've got plenty to do that, um, and Anthony which Swartz, would have an, a major I'll, impact for this team. Absolutely, it would. Right, um, but for people that are wondering why they didn't go and get Machado, like Stearns basically said, they were asking for people that we weren't willing to give up, and yep. and that was it. And I suspect it would be the same story with Hira. Hira would not. I don't think the Brewers would include Hira to get Chris Archer at this point. Well, I mean, it's interesting no, when, when you no talk chance. about another season where we're looking away to try to patch over what's going on at second base. I don't know how you can get rid of Hira, but like, because you basically just now you're per- perpetuating that season after season Absolutely. after season. Absolutely. Like here, since they dealt Diaz, like here is your guy of the future Absolutely. at second base, and, and if you deal him, then you're stuck always trying to find a second base. Do you headline a package of for Archer with? Either Burns or Peralta. No, Mm-mm. you you would not. No, and, and trade because, either one of them as the headliner in because, a package. Because see, I would do that. I'm more prospect. No, because than I because I think that it is. It's not about whether or not a trade makes sense in a vacuum. About whether the value is right. It's about whether or not we're adding in a place that I think is going to be able to make a big impact. I know that the starting rotation has been a big issue with people right now, but I think that the biggest strength of this starting rotation has been depth and it's been able to show that using the bullpen in the way that it has been able to be used, say whatever you want about the fact the bullpen hasn't been great for two weeks. They've been able to find a lot of, uh, they've gotten a lot of mileage out of 
being able to do this stuff with their starting rotation and adding a guy for a long term again signals to me if you're not willing to give up Corbin Burns, you're not willing to give up Freddie Peralta, which is what by all accounts and what sounds like what the Brewers said. Maybe that was just in the Machado deal. I don't know, but you're you can't continuously add more pitchers to the to the situation and still have room for these guys. You but just can't. But okay, on, here's on, my on. other problem. You're just swapping out Archer for one of those guys. You're swapping out Archer for Burns, or you're swapping out Archer. That's for fine. Plus minor leaguers. But you know what? Archer has never been fantastic at run prevention you're not getting yeah. a like pure ace in every sense of the word you're getting a lot of control you're getting a guy that just strikes out a lot of batters. he strikes out a lot of guys physically you're, you're getting what you're getting in archer is the potential to be an ace right especially you're, with a move and, from and the I, AL East I, to yes. I 100% Central. take your point 100% mm-hmm. take your point that he has never pitched in terms of pure run prevention up to like his FIP or his, his DRA. Uh, I, the, the Rays have never had a great defense. I mean, they had Corey Dickerson out in the outfield for sure. however long, right? And so what you're saying is we're going to bring him to the NL Central, make that move. We're going to give him an elite defense, and we're going to trust that this can happen. I mean, that's basically what Cleveland did with Trevor Bauer, right? And so you're you're saying that we're hoping that this is going to fall off. But I, I completely take your point on that. I'm just saying, like, the Brewers have options internally. Yes. We've liked what we've seen from Peralta. You know, Burns, obviously, they still have faith in, even though they're going to start breaking him in in the uh, the bullpen right now. It Which just needs help. But the thing is, Archer would have to basically take that leap. We would have to see him do it for us to then be able to look back on that trade and yeah. say this was worthwhile. I think So you can't just get Chris Archer as he currently is in Tampa Bay for the next three and a half seasons. Well and I think, I think like it would be I think Chris Archer has be actually fine. been injured this year too. Yeah. This right? is the first time this is the first time I think in his career where he's not going to throw two hundred innings in yeah. a season. Like he had been real consistent regardless of whatever's been going on with his production. He always went out there, he made his starts, he ate his innings and stuff yeah. like that. So um but I like I said, my only worry about Archer is that unless he takes that step and becomes that ace that his underlying stats has always kind of supported him as, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's that much of a get for the Brewers that it necessarily makes it worthwhile. But if like, you're giving you up need Burns and Peralta, or sorry, Burns or Peralta, not both, but Burns or Peralta as the number one piece in the deal. You're essentially just swapping him out along but, with the minor leaguers. But, it doesn't impact your depth. It doesn't, you know. I don't know. But part of me thinks, like, I would rather ride with Burns and Peralta and hope that one of them can be what Chris Archer is right now, which is close to a four ERA guy. Yeah. If they're that kind of run prevention, I'd rather roll with those two and hopefully one hits that point than – trade somebody for Archer, you get less time with them, and then you don't get that ace that everybody's hoping you're trading for to begin with. I said, I'd rather I'd rather go get more help in the bullpen. Sure. Right, and and actually make a commitment to saying... Well, and hopefully, you know, this season, if Burns is staying up the rest of the year, he can be part of that help in the bullpen. Certainly. So let's not send anybody else from the depth we have in the system out if we can replace them internally. Certainly. I like the depth in the bullpen already. I mean, and we got Albers coming back soon. They, they always need more depth in the bullpen. I suppose. I, they're showing, you can always get if, better. They're if, showing right now that you need to keep cycling guys through because you're eating a lot of innings if, because you're if, trying to win these yeah, close games. If you, are, if you are going to commit, if you don't want to commit to your starting rotation's biggest strength being depth and you want to go have 
four or five studs. If that's what you want your thing to your deal to be, then you need to go and get your Chris Archers. You need to go and pay to get more players because right now they don't have the the rotation to do it, which means they need to have an elite bullpen, which is where I think they're going to spend some. I think they're going to go to the middle infield, right? We've talked about that ad nauseum, but I think that they will add a, a Anthony Swarzak type. Not him, obviously, because he's had a little bit of a train wreck of a year, but somebody like that to be able to come into the back end of the bullpen and be able to add some more stability. Yeah, and I think, you know, we talked about how work, uh, how work, how hard they've worked. Uh, Jeremy Jeffress, for instance, for instance. For instance, Jeremy Jeffress has pitched a lot of innings and he's pitched a lot of, you know, uh, high impact innings. Um, so I think at this point, they need to look at a way to cover that going forward and not expect him to be as good in the second half as he was in the first. Well, and are you going to get into a situation in which they need to have maybe four options at the back end of the bullpen in, in Hader and Jeffress in Knable, right? Maybe those three plus another one that Williams. you can say, no, I'm taking somebody outside the system right now. Oh, somebody outside the organization and saying, those are going to be our four aces at the back end of it. Right. Because we've had a lot of people say, Right, and a lot of people have said that they've been frustrated that Josh Hader is only being used in in situations in which the team is winning. But right now, as the bullpen is consistent. And Council came out and talked about how he likes to use Hader. Absolutely, right? These were comments that came from not just people observing it, but Council said this is the way we want to use Hader. And if you're going to have, and this is, you know, we talked about this beforehand, right? Like, if you're going to have somebody that you are going to refuse to pitch on back-to-back days. Because he pitches multiple innings. Right. And even if he doesn't pitch multiple innings. Or just generally, innings, they try they, to avoid it. Yeah. He has pitched He's pitched four times on back-to-back days. That was really early in the year, vast majority of For that role, right? Yeah. And they've tried to avoid that uh, to the best of their ability. And I think if you can say you can add another really high-end piece at that back side, the back end of the bullpen, whether or not you know he's got a lot of control or, or whatever. Like if you go in for a Zach Britton, uh, for the Orioles. And I know that some people have said that they don't necessarily know whether or not he's as legit as he used to be. You know, that's kind of here, neither here nor there. Um, if you add somebody like that to the back end, and now you actually do have some freedom to use somebody that is a really high end reliever in a situation in which the game is tied or you're down one late in the game right now, they don't have enough of their elite pitchers. And then the people who say that you actually need to be able to use these guys when you're down a run, are some of the same folks that are going to lament when you've got Taylor Williams giving up a couple of runs like he did against the Dodgers. And suddenly that puts the game out of, out of reach, but then suddenly it'd be flip-flopped and he'd be giving up those runs when you'd be in the lead, right? Like it's, it's a really difficult angle to play, but if you want to use your best relievers in high leverage situations, whether you're winning or you're losing, you need a lot of them, not just three. I mean, you need piles of them. If you want to start using them when you're down a run or whatever, and I know it gets to be... I think this gets amplified by the losing streak. Everybody wants to stop the losing streak, do whatever you have to do. And also, based on the fact that the Brewers scored runs late again, which has happened a few times in this run where they've deployed maybe not their best relievers, and then they would come back and they'd score runs late. And people would look at that and go, well, if you just used your best relievers, they would have won that game, which isn't at all how it works, obviously. But you're still looking well at- yeah there's always this everybody looks back and you use your elite relievers in your you know seventh eighth and ninth innings and you always give up no runs and win every game right, right. which which also 
not that the team you were opposing would have used different relievers because the game would have been closer. Right. I, you, <laughs> yeah. Like last night, a big part of why the Brewers were able to come back late in that game and put some runs on the board, Kenley Jansen wasn't in the damn game. Like, he would have been in the game if it had been a one-run Well, deficit. and once they had two guys on, they brought him in right away. And as soon as they had guys on, they did bring him in. And so you can't look at that. I don't know if we talk enough about how Kenley Jansen is so damn good. His he's not as crazy good as he used to be. That, like he used to have the 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 stuff. Like his been, heat that, backed it up. He's been incredible. Like he's still incredible. Ninety four mile an hour cutter last night. Oh yeah, was un fucking hittable. Like that was just it was watching that thing. I was I was watching the, the batters like try to swing over it. And you don't think you could hit it? I I mean I know I couldn't hit that, but that was his. That really does remind me. And this is you it know, tells a you what he's it been working me of with. Rivera. Yeah, it tells like you what that, he's been working with. That again, you know, his his as far as how hard he throws, that can kind of back off. But he still has the ability to get guys out at that rate. Certainly, and I think one of my favorite things about Kenley Jansen is he used to be a catcher, and they like put him on the mound to see what was happening, and he just had the cutter naturally. And basically, the pitching coach looked at him and said, "What what are you throwing?" And he's like, I'm just, I'm just throwing it. I'm throwing like, hard. This is just how I, how I grip the ball <laughs> yeah, and throw he's it. He's like, I'm just throwing it hard. And they were like, yeah, you're a pitcher now. We're, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to throw How do you feel about pitching tonight? <laughs> yeah. We're going to, your, your knees are going to be a lot better and you can eat more. So have fun. <laughs> yeah. And I think Enjoy Kenley Jansen, snacks. yeah, Kenley Jansen <laughs> eats. He's not sure. a small guy. No, no. So, um, anyways, we were going to do this, uh, last week, but we kind of put it off because of all the stuff that was going on. We we're going to do our first half awards. You, let's game on. Are you ready to go? Uh, we've already gone a while, so let's go through these things pretty quick. You're in charge. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we're going to start off with uh, who was your surprise performance in the first half this season? You know, obviously, when you get out to a, a start like this, somebody's doing well that you weren't expecting. I'll just play it right down the middle of the fairway and say Jesus Aguilar. <laughs> I mean, he is sure. an MVP candidate, and that's really surprising. Uh, he's been... I, he's right now. He's having the best offensive season a Brewer has had since peak Ryan Braun. I mean, there players have had more valuable seasons than that. Uh, Gomez, Lucroy, but that was positional, you know, and defense related. Like they were able to rack up more value that way. Aguilar is just having an amazing offensive season and carrying the Brewers' offense through a lot right now so he is though i did look it up last year and travis shaw was really good in the first half last year his slugging was not quite where aguilar's is but otherwise his line didn't look that much different but yeah no i take your point jp what do you got i'll say freddie peralta i I didn't think freddie peralta would actually be in the majors this year much less coming up and throwing double digit strikeouts in you know shutout performances and and leapfrogging you know corbin burns in the process and being able to come in and be a guy that the Brewers Brewers fans, at least, if not the Brewers organization, are actually relying on to be somebody that is going to carry them into this postseason stretch. I think, for me, he's the biggest surprise. I think it's I think Josh Hader would be a good shout because I don't think anybody saw Hold him on, being Hold on, Steve still good. has to answer here, so he hasn't given okay, his well, answer. Well, that's fine. I was going to go with Jeffress and his ability to yeah. get out of jams. Yeah. Like, for how great Hader's been on the mound for the Brewers— Jeffress has been the Houdini that's really gotten him out of some tough spots. Hader's been great at coming in and shutting teams down for like more than an inning, but Jeffress has come in in some of the toughest positions. When you look back at like, how do you win close games? 
Oh yeah, his strand rate is it's just ins- something miraculous. It's insane. Like it's yeah. And look, whoever taught him, I don't know if he like he had been working on this on his own or somebody taught him how to throw this split change at you know ninety one miles an hour. But whoever did that, I think they was, deserve a raise. Wasn't it Guerra? Didn't Junior Guerra do it? I think it is, yeah. Garrett's helped him out. Give so. him a raise. Anyways, we're going to keep going here. So uh, so we got our surprise performance. Who's your biggest disappointment, JP? It's It's got to be Orlando Arcia for me, just because not only is that just brought a cavernous hole into to shortstop, which, to be fair, Tyler Saladino has worked to fill much more than I, I think I thought that he would when they acquired him. But Orlando Arcia was supposed to be somebody that was going to take a step forward from last year and not just go so far back i'll go with domingo santana i definitely was not expecting i didn't think he was going to repeat what he did last year if for no other reason than he wasn't gonna get the playing time but we've just seen the power disappear has been extremely disappointing like and you don't expect that that was what was going to happen so i'll go with domingo i agree with santana as well and i think part of that is you know with bronze injury injuries well, there's another game you could but with bronze, but if you said Ryan Braun's going to be injured and less effective this season, I would have said, sure. Having Santana would have been that backup that you'd think, like, we're still going to get good production, solid production out of another corner outfield uh, position. And the fact that he was just a non-factor, you know, is probably the biggest surprise. I, I thought there was a higher floor as far as what he would do from season to season. Uh, than what he showed this year. So um, who do we have as the most valuable pitcher this season, JP? I, I think it's going to, maybe controversially, I think it's going to be Jeremy Jeffress. I think Jeffress is one of the big reasons why they've been able to outperform uh, some of their run differential early in the year. I know that's kind of slipped backwards a little bit, but he's been the guy, whether it's the sixth inning, he's closed some games out in the ninth, he's gone multiple innings at times, but he's just been the guy that, that Craig Council can deploy in any situation to be able to get out of a jam. And I think if you're looking at it, trying to get into a postseason and saying that, you know, two or three wins in April or May kind of proved to be the difference when they shouldn't have won, Jeremy Jeffress is that guy. Yeah. Who do you have, Ryan? I'm going to go a little bit surprising here, I think. Uh, I think Shasin. And I think it's because one of the biggest needs they've had, and I guess you could also sort of include Anderson because he's doing about the same on a innings per start basis, but he's eating innings. And it is something that they desperately needed. It was a big part of why they got him in the first place in the offseason. And he's been good at preventing runs. The run prevention has been good. I think the stuff and his approach has ticked up. I think he's pitching a little bit more up in the zone than what he had in the past. So he's he's modified that. Um, And I think the team would be in pretty rough shape starting rotation-wise if they didn't have him there so far. Whether or not that's necessarily going to continue, I don't know. But for the first half, those innings have been really, really valuable to keep them on the rails and to allow the bullpen to be sort of deployed the way it has been. Yeah, I'm going to go with Junior Guerra because I think he's been the uh, Zach Davies that Zach Davies hasn't been this season. Well, (laughs) there was a certain just reliance on Zach Davies was going to be that guy who goes out there. He pitches around, you know, he's got a four ERA, you know, gives up about four runs a game. Um, And he hasn't been able to do that. He was ineffective early. He got hurt and we haven't seen him on the mound and Garris come up and he's just been solid. He's, you know, 
he's not necessarily going to go real deep into a game, but he's going to give you a chance. It's rare that you're, the Brewers aren't in a game that Junior Guerra has been out there pitching. You know, I think they understand how to manage him, how to get the production they need out of him. So I think Guerra's actually been a really big impact getting back on track this season, and that's been a big deal for the Brewers. So um, who do you have as the most valuable position player, Ryan? Uh, Lorenzo Cain, and I don't think it's really particularly close. He's an excellent, excellent defender. I think that's, you know, I knew that coming in, but watching him do it has been something else again to see it and to to just marvel at how good he is defensively. And his or his approach at the plate has changed this year, and people have kind of talked about the fact that uh, I think it was maybe Ranny was talking about this, that like it was pretty clear that like the Royals didn't value walking and getting on base because look at his approach now. And look at what he's doing with the Brewers up at the top of the lineup. Kane had been doing that. Kane uh, had done that in Kansas it's City. It's taken a big jump forward this year. Sure. Like his walk rate has spiked but a he, lot. But but Kane, compared to the rest of the Royals, had shown that he knew how to take a walk that's, up there, too. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he's he's got a 388 on base percentage. Mm-hmm. and But he was usually in the 360s. I mean, he wasn't like a guy who he hasn't gone from like you know he'd hit like two ninety and get on base at a three. It wasn't like the year that like Jonathan VR all of a sudden put up like a ten percent walk rate out of nowhere. Sure, yeah, but at any rate, I'm not. I'm not all around criticizing the player and just. I mean, honestly, it's funny all the head or all the talk, and I did was guilty of it myself earlier, saying that uh, that uh, Aguilar is an MVP candidate. I mean, Kane is really like one of the most valuable players in the national league this year i don't know if you know how they pick those awards (laughs) i've i've well not as much as they used to not as much as they used to it's gotten better so jp what do you have officially i'll say lorenzo kane but i i do think that aguilar deserves a shout just because especially in late june early july when there were so many injuries there were so i know that people don't want to hear about you know contextual situations but if the Brewers didn't have Jesus Aguilar in that stretch, it would have been brutal. Yeah, I agree with you. I think when Thames went down in, what was that, mid to late April? Yeah. Like, there was worry that, oh, they're, they, you know, Braun's not out there every day. They're having trouble keeping him on the field. And you're basically, you have a part-time player that's now going to be your full-time first baseman. And Aguilar showed that, no, he could be a full-time first Man, baseman. Man, that Braun prop bet's coming in bad. Yeah, it is. <laughs> well, yeah. whole, pe- people did not expect Aguilar to have this kind of season. Absolutely. You know, that's well, the, having the, as much of an Brewers impact didn't, on that otherwise, as no. And the Brewers didn't. Otherwise, they wouldn't have tried. No, uh, then Ryan it would Braun at the Yeah, Ryan base, Braun right? at first base never would have been a consideration if they thought Aguilar could do anything close to this. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Steve? I, that's why I was talking about Aguilar. Oh, that's why I chimed in on that one. I I also agree. Aguilar has been the most valuable position player just because filling in the way he did. I mean, we should probably then also mention Christian Yelich because he's been really damn good. Like, really, really good. Right. But I don't think he's down and disappointed. But I don't think he's been better than the two we mentioned. No, I think that I think that those are the clear top two. And then Yelich fits in behind that. But. I would also, if you're talking about like who's going to be good, he's given him participation trophies. Well, who's going to be best? Are the you second just, half of the season? No, 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 Give no, 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 no. Yelich, Hold on, Yelich should potentially carry the. Uh, this the team was in the second half, first yeah, half awards. Why best. are we talking about the second half? First half awards. Fine, fine, fine. We're not talking about the future. On, We're talking about what happened. Upward. So, uh, who do we have as a uh, most valuable player so far in the first half? Kane. Yeah, I don't see any reason not to go Kane. I'm going to go with Hater and the impact he's had. 
I think, you know, the way he's been able to... Even though he didn't make your pitcher the first half? Well, you said Aguilar was your position player the first half. And then you picked Kane as the most valuable player. Yeah, but at least I mentioned him. No, he did say he was moving past Kane because I'd already mentioned Well, him. and also I, I picked Guerra's most valuable because of what he did for that rotation. But I'm picking haters just purely coming in and the impact he's had. Man, and just, that's most valuable. Just let me give you some shit. That's fine. I'll take it. I'll justify it too. So that's that's how that's going to happen. So, yeah, I mean, again, it's all just uh, uh, useless awards for us to, to waste some time and argue, right? So, um, anyways, we're going to wrap this up because we are going to the game uh, Saturday night tonight uh, against the Dodgers. We need to get over there. Adam. And we do need to get going because we want to make sure we get a, a good seat on that shuttle. <laughs> well, Joe. I, I don't want I don't want somebody sitting on my lap. I don't want Ryan sitting on my lap on the way to Miller Park. So we got to make sure we get on the shuttle early. So anyways, that's going to do it for the show this week. Uh, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash MKE tailgate patrons at the ball and glove level will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. As always follow us on Twitter at MKE tailgate. You can also submit questions to milwaukee's.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's tailgate baseball podcast. And in the future we'll actually take questions. Yeah, I know we did have some questions, but I skipped over them today because we went long I mean, even without him, yeah, we won't it's won't. it's hard with the the stuff that happened during the All Star break. There well, was Josh Hader was twenty five minutes worth of discussion. So. Yeah, yeah, and you know, valid discussion. And you know, what are you going to do? That's the way it goes. So um, we will get to questions next week because I think we'll still have plenty of trade talk to discuss. So, anyways. Uh, make sure you subscribe to uh, Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher. We're in the Google Play Store as well. Or any, any of your favorite uh, podcast apps, you should be able to find us. Um, leave reviews and help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening. And join us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. Tailgate.